Serve Alpert the T1 of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. Recent and also three-time Fangraphs Audio guest Nick Picoro. Of course, Nick Picoro, the beat writer for uh, the Diamondbacks, of the Diamondbacks, I should say, for the Arizona Republic, uh, recently in a conversation uh, that we were having together, uh, suggested that Alex Spear of WEI, the radio station in Boston, Alex Spear, uh, was one uh, is one of the best beat reporters, beat writers in baseball today. We happened to be at Fenway when he said that, and that this is why uh, Alex Spear came up. I said to him, um, if tasked, Nick Picoro, if tasked with providing, say, a top five or top ten list of the game's uh, best beat reporters, uh, you know, writers covering the game, what would your version of that look like? Picoro gave his own sort of answer to that. But it became clear that if he were to pick a number one, first overall member of such a list, that beat, uh, that beat reporter would be today's guest. Uh, and that guest is Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Gould covers the St. Louis Cardinals for that same paper. In our conversation, Picoro was highly complimentary of Gould and suggested that, um, much like uh, an excellent shortstop uh, for baseball, that Gould was the sort of writer who uh, possessed uh, a number of tools uh, that that are relevant to uh, fulfilling the obligations of a beat writer. Uh, well, what are these? I wondered to myself, and I also said, um, what sort of flimsy pretense might I use to meet this Derek Gould, if only uh, by phone? Fortunately for now, if not much longer, I'm the proprietor of a, a podcast, Fangraphs Audio, and it is that pretense which I've used to meet Derek Gould. And the conversation I had with him is what follows. Let's get to it immediately. Uh, why don't we? It is uh, Fangraphs Audio. It features Cardinals B reporter Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and it begins right now. Yeah, this is yeah, and that is um, it's a very professional operation that we run at Fangraphs Audio. So I just want you to prepare yourself for that. Okay. Okay. I am. I'm braced. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, this, uh, as I noted uh, via email with you, uh, um, anything could happen. But um, I guess uh, the the reason that I've uh, thought to call you um, is because I was uh, talking with Nick Pacoro not very long ago at Fenway Park. Mm-hmm. Um, I've uh, followed Nick around a little bit uh, around the, the country because, um, well, because um, I'm a dangerous person. But besides that, it's uh, okay. yeah, no, we, um, we you're kind I, of a Nick Goopy, is that what you're saying? Well, I had the opportunity. I was living in Madison, Wisconsin. I had the opportunity to interview him at uh, Miller Park in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Oh. Yeah. Very good. And I interviewed him in the Press Box Cafe there. And then I happened to be at uh, Wrigley Field the same time as him. And so I interviewed him at the Press Box Cafe there. Uh, and then just last week I was at Fenway, uh, or I sort of made a point of it at this point to do that. But during the course of our conversation, uh, off air, I said, uh, he had made a, a point about Alex Spear, uh, of course, who writes, uh, does work for WEI out of Boston, uh, yeah. for the Red Sox. And he said, Alex Spear, uh, he said this to me, uh, he said, Alex Spear is one of the great, uh, beat writers reporting today. Um, and I, and I said, oh, do you have, uh, like a top five or top ten or something like that? And uh, um, I don't know if it was that formal, but he said that, in his opinion, the best beat writer currently working today was Derek Gould. And is, am I saying that right, Gould? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. It's a Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. So he was complimenting you behind your back. 
that's very nice of him. Yeah. So I, guess, I have already paid him for the compliment. Yeah, right. Yeah. And um, I covered him once. But I think we all know that, uh, of course, beat writers are um, wealth. I mean, that's sort of that's a path to wealth anyway. Yeah. 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 That's right. Obviously. But I guess I would start off with a question that uh, might uh, force you to betray your modesty, if you have any anyway. We don't know each other that well. But yeah. what about – what do you think – what do you think that it is that you do that has at least impressed, if not everyone in the world, has impressed Nick Picoro? Or what are the sort of things you value that you think maybe Nick Picoro values uh, uh, in turn? Well, I mean, I don't want to put words in, in Nick's mouth, but I mean, I think as an animal, all the beat writers sort of take really, and I know this is certainly true for me, um, take pride in, in being there every day. You know, it's the old Dan Jenkins line, you gotta play hurt. Um, and also I would add to that that the, the newspaper comes out every day. Um, so, you know, you, you gotta be there, um, and you gotta produce and you have to produce consistently, constantly over time. Um, one of the reasons why I, I've, I've come to sort of appreciate this, I guess, as I, thought more about just my personality um, and why, um, I don't know how to put it, why why I had such an early and very intense fondness for both baseball and newspapers. And I think there are some similarities there. You know, you go for foreign baseball one day, well, you're going to play again the next day. You have the walk-off hit, as the Cardinals did here recently in the 14th inning. One day, well, is that guy even going to start the next day? I mean, they, they you know, what, what's the old rural weaver like? They play this game every day. And the newspapers are very similar. You know, it's uh, that's great that you wrote a story today that may win awards, and that's wonderful. How's that notebook coming for tomorrow? Mm-hmm. How's your Sunday story doing? Um, what kind of news are you going to break on the blog? How come you haven't done your chat yet? Um, you know, I mean, it, it's very much, uh, you know, an etch-a-sketch kind of lifestyle where you, you don't get to put your pelts on the wall for very long because you're you're asked to go out and hunt again the next day. And I I like that aspect of both of those things. I, I like the real challenge of it. Um, and I, I actually, I, to be honest, I kind of relish the challenge of it. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a it, I know I know that some days may feel the same, but no days are truly the same because. The challenge of coming up with a story, breaking news, writing something better, faster, stronger, longer, uh, more concise, more analytical is always there. Um, what, you know, and, and I think, uh, I think that pushes me. Now you mentioned, um, that, that sort of the, the pure volume of the thing, um, besides being difficult is also perhaps something that appeals to you. Um, mm-hmm. if, if I'm not mistaken, uh, just looking over the, the site, uh, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch's uh, site today, I think you already have three pieces up. There's a piece, uh, let's see, the Not-So-Cardiac Cards, Outlast the Pirates, um, which is perhaps something something of like a, of a game recap, if I'm not mistaken. That's the game story. Sure. Yeah. And then we have Molina Eyes Thursday Return, which, of course, um, will, will be a, a, an article of interest uh, to many Cardinals fans, uh, of course, about mm-hmm. Molina's turn. And then uh, very shortly after that, um, a report on Michael Waka um, going, uh, moving to the bullpen from uh, after uh, making a spot start. Is, is this is, um, is is that correct? What I've sort of uh, summarized here? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's correct for today. That's kind of a light day, and uh, um, uh, I'll I'll be honest, I. Uh, 
I probably should have another one or two stories up at this point. Um, but uh, last night was a late game, and I want to try to take a catch my breath when I can. Um, you know, so uh, you know, there's, I didn't do a blog entry today uh, yet, and I probably should have. Um, you know, but uh, but I did spend some time reporting already today and uh, working on other stories, and also trying to catch up on. Uh, on the on the mountain of paperwork that that tends to file, so I, I it's it's kind of a light day, um, mm-hmm. and and uh, I'm hopefully as I go to my office here before going to the ballpark, I'm not reminded of that. Hopefully, I can sneak <laughs> in without them giving me a tisk tisk. Why why haven't you written more today? Now, yeah, so let's talk about though what what are the. Um what are your sort of responsibilities? Whether it's you know, uh, whether whether everything is is uh, happening every day, but generally what it is that you're the role that you're expected to perform, and I guess I'm uh, because you know I I don't necessarily know I don't know if all of our listeners know what is the sort of role of the beat writer you know on a day to day basis. Well, you know, a beat writer is. I mean, it's called a beat writer because you, you know, you work the beat in a similar sense that a cop would work a beat. You know, I mean, you, you uh, you're responsible for the vigilance and coverage of a team topic, whatever. I mean, you, you have beat reporters who do, uh, you know, who do city council. You have, uh, we have at the newspaper on the news side, we have cop beat reporters, we have education beat reporters. Um, so you kind of get the sense from that regard. I, I'm a baseball beat reporter. I uh, cover the Cardinals. So I'm responsible for the day-in, day-out coverage um, for my beat. Uh, you know, I took an early interest in sports beat reporting, specifically baseball beat reporting, because of its uh, variety. On uh, the baseball beat, you know, and this is, I, I go back to the Paleolithic days before um, the Internet took over. Uh, that's when I was in college, um, and uh, you know the the baseball beat or sports beat offered a chance where you're not only doing breaking news and covering games and traveling and, and doing the notebooks, but you also get to develop issue stories and feature stories and profiles and um, you know do an- analysis and, and analysis and things like that. And, um, the variety is there, so I uh, I'm called upon as a as a beat writer to to do all those things. Um, the the day to day stuff has changed with the internet. It's very much a uh, 24-hour beat. Um, it's 24, uh, a 24-hour deadline, I guess I should say, where if news happens at 2 a.m., you know, you don't wait for the next day's paper or two days later paper to write that story. You put it up on the web immediately. Uh, you hope that that doesn't happen too often, but it does. I mean, you see it all over the place. You can see it with the ESPN.com writers. You can see it with mixed coverage of the Arizona Diamondbacks. You can see it in Chicago, in New York, all over the place. Boston, as you mentioned, um, you know these are they, they, this is an as it happens kind of job now. And as a beat reporter, you're you're expected to uh, keep pace with that. Even and actually keep pace is wrong. Uh, you're expected to stay a, a, a step ahead of it, um, whether it's uh, on Twitter or linking to the website or uh, or breaking news in a bunch of different multimedia platforms. I, I got into this because I'm an ink-stained wretch, but I understand that you also have to know how pixels work and, and appear on and, and do stuff on radio and know how to, to articulate your thoughts there. And, and uh, you know, I, I, the, the phrase that I like is that, the, you know, beat writers have to have the highest metabolism of any reporters because they're just asked to turn out more with less constantly. 
And so you just have to have this really high metabolism for news and production um, that, uh, that you know, has always sort of been there. Um, it's just now appeared on many different platforms. And now uh, we're catching I'm ca- I called you at 3.30 Eastern. I believe that the uh, that, that St. Louis has today a home game. Uh, yes. Uh, starts about 7 o'clock uh, local time. Yes. Yep. Now, where have I caught you uh, during the course of your day? Of course, it would be 2.30 local time for you. Um, today is a little different um, than normal days, um, but I uh, you caught me on the way to the ballpark mm-hmm. um, with a slight detour to the newsroom. I need to pick up something from my boss at the newsroom, um, but I am on my way to the ballpark. I like to arrive at the ballpark, uh, you know, four hours at the latest before first pitch. Okay, and then so once you're at the ballpark, now I, um, from my own experience, um, uh, the and of course the Baseball Writers Association, I think through some manner of uh, clerical error, uh, recently admitted uh, admitted me, and um, mm. um, so we all put it up to a vote. You were good. Oh, oh, okay. That wasn't it. Wasn't yeah, just a mistake or something. Um, no, no. I, we all thought that your lobbying efforts and the uh, and the uh, you know the. Uh, the snickerdoodles that you sent to us to sweeten the, your bid uh, really helped. I have so a great, I have a great recipe for snickerdoodles. I can't help it. <laughs> I can't I have no it. doubt. Um, but if you, uh, so I, so you saying get there before? I know the clubhouse is open three and a half hours before. What sort of your like? What are sort of your your first preparatory steps when you get to the park? Uh, well, so that that also has changed a little bit this year because the Cardinals um, sometimes they open at that time, sometimes they open earlier. Uh, so, I, you know, we, we get messages saying when the Cardinals clubhouse will be open. And, the, you know, so like today, for example, it is opening a little bit earlier, not much earlier, but a little bit earlier. So I want, I want to get to the ballpark that much earlier. Um, I, uh, I try to, you know, kind of get situated and set up, um, so that when I get to the, uh, press box, if I have any kind of lingering, uh, st- statistical stuff from the day before that I haven't updated. I do that real quick. Uh, check my emails. Try to try to make sure that I've at least put an email contact with some of the editors back at the paper to outline what they expect. Um, at home games, there are at least two of us, often four of us, uh, covering the game. Um, so I try to connect with uh, the people who are covering the game with me, uh, get their ideas, get their thoughts, start talking about the directions and uh, reporting that we need to do in the game leading up to it that can help either with the coverage of the game or help fill some of the content that we need to have for the next day's paper. Um, I, I do reply to emails and stuff like that and check with, uh, um, and, you know, check with readers if, if that time, if time permits and, and get back to them. Uh, and then also I, uh, I mean, you know, you do radio hits and things like that. that that's going to be part of my day to day. I, I work for a radio station here and, um, I've set up the time for my daily radio hit, actually between talking to you and getting down to the clubhouse. Um, and then uh, the uh, the other part of it is that we do uh, we do a blog on the on the website that's basically a live game blog. And what starts that that particular blog each day is the lineup. So I want to at least be in position and have it all coded up with headlines, uh, placements, where it's going, photos if necessary. Um, keywords, all that stuff that we all have to now code up, which were all foreign concepts to me 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be able to at least be ahead of the game so that I have the file coded up so I just have to drop in or somebody just has to drop in. Uh, if I'm not, there are days where I don't do it, where we, where at a lot of home games somebody else will do it. But if I'm at an away game, I always do it. 
um, we're uh, we're we want to have that lineup up and then and, and get that lineup up quickly uh, so that it's there for uh, for the afternoon traffic and so that's also part of the pre uh, before the clubhouse opens part of my setup if uh, if I can get the lineup uh, or if I can get the lineup to somebody then we make sure we have it up on the web. You mentioned uh, sort of wor- uh, working with other writers um, mm-hmm. um, who are your colleagues. Um, it, now, having three or four guys covering a game seems like uh, maybe it's slightly more robust coverage than other teams or papers, uh, uh, papers might have. Is that uh, is that the case, and does that have something to do with just the sort of, uh, I guess, the St. Louis area's interest in, in the club and sort of the, the relevance of that club to, to the city? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we... We have it. We we flood the zone with baseball coverage, and uh, we expect. Uh, actually, we we are expected to have blanket coverage. Robust coverage is a great way to describe it. Muscular coverage, um, and and we are we're given the manpower to do that. Um, you know, I uh, I work almost every day with uh, Rick Hummel, who's in the Hall of Fame for his baseball coverage. Um, we have other folks here who have years and years of. Covering baseball, Bernie Nicholas has more than two decades. He's our columnist. He's more than two decades of covering the Cardinals. Um, you know, here and he's out there at the ballpark a lot, and he helped drive a lot of uh, the baseball coverage that you see online, especially this year. That that's sort of been added to it. Um, you know, this year we had the opportunity, and we, we we have done this in the past, and this is one of the programs that I'm I'm really most proud of. Is uh, you know, we have a very active baseball writers chapter here. And we're able to raise money and provide for scholarships. And one of the programs that we've set up um, over the last, uh, I guess, seven, eight years is we actually pay the salary of an intern. And, uh, you know, a, a student from the University of Missouri's journalism school, uh, where I went to school, where Hall of Famer Rick Hummel went to school, and where a lot of folks obviously graduated with journalism degrees, um, each year we're, we're able to actually pay the salary of, a, of an intern to come from the University of Missouri and work in our sports department. And this year that intern uh, worked almost, uh, I would say, probably 80% of the time out at the ballpark with me uh, to help uh, beef up our coverage and be a part of that live online coverage that I described and to turn some sidebars. He, he turned a really excellent sidebar. In fact, last night was his last night, and he turned an excellent sidebar on uh, on sort of the style of pitcher and, and sort of the, the, the goal of acquiring starting pitchers that the, that the pilots have had this year. So um, we, we do put an emphasis on it. Um, it, uh, it plays prominently on our paper. It, we have many times where baseball will be on the front page of the news section because of how much it matters to the area. And, uh, you know, we want to be, we want to have a coverage that reflects a city that wants to be the capital of baseball. And, uh, and all that goes with it. I, I, I take that as a challenge and a tremendous responsibility, to be honest. Now, how does, how does one go about, um, I guess, be, now you, you're a vet, now you've been doing it for how many years? Uh, doing, uh, covering the Cardinals. Sure. I moved over to the Cardinal Beat, um, in 2004. Okay. And you were, um, and you were oh, sorry. sorry. You, and you were no. there before? Uh, out of college, I went to the New Orleans Times Picayune. Uh, then to the Rocky Mountain News, um, both, you know, the dearly departed Rocky Mountain News, which mm-hmm. is, uh, the newspaper I grew up reading in Colorado, and then mm-hmm. went to, uh, I went from there to the Post-Dispatch where I covered the St. Louis Blues for three years, um, and then to baseball, and that, that was the, that was the goal all along. I, uh, I, I knew that, uh, baseball was, was the idea, 
Um, and I hope to get there, and I hope to get there in a place where I could cover baseball that mattered. How do you? How does one go about? And perhaps uh, you know there are as many strategies as there are be reporters, um, but I suppose forming relationships with uh, players and coaches uh, because you're always going to be riding a line, I assume, where um, you know you're going. You're in many cases you're occupying the same literal physical space as them, uh, and so you want to be on good terms. At the same time, uh, you sort of have you have a responsibility to yourself, uh, your own sense of integrity, and the readers uh, not to you know to to apply um, you know to be uh, to be uh, stringent about your work, to be um, you know rigorous about your work, and and occasionally that will you know. Uh, that involve examining players and um, perhaps finding finding flaws and weaknesses with them. So I'm curious uh, how one um, like yourself will ride that line between uh, you know forming those relationships, uh, but also um, sort of remaining uh, committed to pro- you know, providing um, excellent reportage and analysis. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess uh, I guess in the sense that the line has to be something you don't exa- exactly ride. It's more like you find it and hold on to it, and and I I think it's important to be consistent above all else. Um, or another word would be you know professional. You're you're not uh, you're not creating relationships with these guys that uh, you know, or with the players, or with the manager, or with front office. That is the guy at the cubicle cubicle next door. You know, you're not uh, you're not going to go out for lunch with them um, and split the check. You're not you're not you're not going to you know, talk about your weekend with them. Um, you're going to have a professional relationship, and the, the truth of the matter is, yeah, you, you end up spending more time around the ballpark and around the manager and around the players than you do with your family. I mean, they, it, I mean, spring training alone sets that up, where you know you're away for six and a half, seven, eight weeks, um, you know, around the ballpark constantly, and the family's back wherever the city is you came from. Um, so I, I think you know you, you kind of recognize. That you're around, but you're never a part of, and you you do keep that distance because that's just the way it is. And and if you have if you create professional relationships where they're courteous, they're respectful. Hey, you know, I'll I'll ask a player about you know if he just had a new kid. I'll ask him what it's like to how he feels about being a dad, and I'll ask him how his wife is doing. Um, and I'm not asking for a story. I'm asking because I. I'm interested, you know, but it's a professional sort of interest. It's a, hey, we're around each other all the time, and you know, I, I'm not sending a gift over, but I'm I'm asking for your own well-being. How how are things going? Um, and I think if you always create that kind of professional relationship, where look, I I will ask about the game. Um, I will write straight when you have when you hit four home runs. I'm not going to fixate on the time you struck out in your fifth at bat. Um, but if you strike out four times, I'm going to mention that and not fixate on the home run, you get your fifth at bat. You know, I mean, it's a professional, straightforward. They know that, uh, that I'm going to be critical, um, but I'm not going to be carving. And they know that I'm also going to take the time, and this is important. I, I think this is important. They, they, they also know that I'm going to be there every day. And that when they show up at the ballpark, there's a good chance I'm going to show up at the ballpark too. And when they go home, I'm still going to be there at the ballpark working. And they know that, you know, the, the effort that I put into my job and the fact that I will always ask 
what happened, um, why it happened, what was their opinion of what happened, um, because that's part of the consistency and that's part of the professionalism. And if they give an answer, then I will, you know, present their their opinion of it. But I won't do that carte blanche. I won't do that without uh, without also exploring the other side of it. And I think that they always know that that's the way I go about it. Um, that's valuable. You know, you can't come in and you know cozy up to a player and then sting them without them expecting it. That's that's not professional at all. That's uh, you know that's a that's a breach of etiquette. And I, I don't think that's that's the way to go about it. Be consistent. Be professional. Let them know where you stand and always stand there. You mentioned the way that uh, technology obviously has transformed the the life or the role of the beat, the beat reporter to some degree, um, mm-hmm. or, or maybe to a, a big degree. Uh, a massive life-altering degree? <laughs> yeah, just that too. A, <laughs> a paradigm-shifting, <laughs> cataclysmic, um, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> a, a high degree, whatever yeah. higher is higher than that. Whatever, yeah, one above that. Um, yeah. Uh, I would also guess um, that the sort of um, analysis that's available to a B reporter or that, that, that he can perform himself and that is also available at a site, mm-hmm. for example, like Fangraphs, the sort of data and analysis that's available um, would also change your job to some degree, not only because it would you know, sort of give you another way of understanding the game, but also because mm-hmm. you have those rela- you, you have access to the players. The, and this is something that um, – I personally have only been able to um, employ, you know, because uh, so I'm coming at it maybe more from an analysis side, and you know, I'm gonna have essentially having to learn as humbly as possible, by the way, um, some of even the most basic ideas of, of um, you know, you know, talking talking with players and and transforming mm-hmm. that into a story or just having a conversation. Um, I'm curious though for you. Uh, what what the uh, how it's gone in terms of integrating advanced analysis and advanced stats um, into the work that you do? I think that's always kind of a work in progress, to be honest. I mean, you know, I I do my best to try to balance them. Um, I know that uh, I've been able to through you know whatever the last ten seasons, I guess it's ten seasons, ten seasons. I know that things that I could mention in year two where I would have to explain exactly what this means, now I can just drop into an article because it's more accepted. And I a bad example of that, but, but no less an example, would be, you know, 10 years ago when we would put on base plus slugging percentage, which is a measure of, and now you just put OPS. Uh, you know, it's because... I would imagine it's because of coverage like, you know, and, and the popularity of fan graphs and baseball prospectus, but also the use of these stats by B-writers, columnists, um, magazine writers, uh, all the folks in the in sort of the baseball scribble class, uh, you know, that has allowed for those things to take root in the fan base and to take root in our readership, and, and we don't have to explain it anymore. And I, I think I'm... I'm always kind of looking for where that happens. Where does a where does a stat go from, you know, where we have to spend two sentences to explain exactly what it is, um, to uh, to more general acceptance um, and and readily available understanding of that stat. And I hope that we get there with with more of them. Uh, I look forward to that. I also always keep in mind that 
It is important for me to use stats that I can explain to the readers what they mean and not just throw out there. I mean, if I if I throw out there war, if I throw out there UZR, if I throw out there any, you know, batting average on balls on play, if I just throw it out there and I put it in a sentence and don't explain it because I'm scared to explain it or... I uh, or I don't feel like uh, like I can properly explain it. That I'm not doing my job. I mean, part of my job is to make those stats accessible so that folks understand them and and what they mean. Um, you know, I, I I'm, I'm writing for a more general audience, and one of the ways that the the stats can take hold or take root um, in the in, in the conversation where they need to is if we're all able to explain those stats in, in layman terms and not professor, professorial terms, or even worse, and that's what I'm trying to say, or even worse, just let them sit there as if they're they're granite, and if you don't understand it, then too bad. Right. Yeah, uh, talking, uh, it turns out readers don't like being talked down to. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> yeah, well, but they also don't like to be confused. You know, they, you know, if, if, you, if you give out, you know, like a, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, you know, I mean, let's. Uh, so I was trying to describe the other day um, how much games can change with Seth Manis and his double plays. He, he's got you know 14 double plays as a reliever. Um, you know, which which when he got his 12th, I think it was, is when I was writing about this. He had as many in very few appearances because he's a, a late inning reliever. Um, he had as many as Clayton Kershaw had, who had the what the second most innings pitched in the National League. And I was trying to distill how his double plays, because of when they happen and when he's able to coax them, for whatever reason, you know, I understand the ground ball can get through, it can find a hole, whatever. But for whatever reason, I just wanted to kind of illustrate how much he was turning games, how much those single double plays were affecting the outcomes of the game. Well, we have obviously the you know win percentage added or WPA, and I can I can throw that out there. I can just say a sentence: uh, Seth Manis's double plays have added this much probability for the Cardinals to win in these games. But that what what good does that do the reader? It just I mean it it shows off that I know how to use a stat, but it doesn't allow them to handle stat. Maybe maybe you know seven out of out of ten know exactly what I mean, and 7 out of 10 are going to go, oh, well, that's a great point. But what about the three who don't? Do they shut off? Do they not turn back to my blog? Or is there an opportunity, if I can figure out how to explain that in layman term, is it is it possible to have 10 out of 10 us understanding exactly what I'm trying to explain? And and that's sort of the aim, and you know, I'm not perfect at it. I'm, I, I falter. Um, sometimes, you know, I, I can't quite get the clarity of explanation that I seek. It's sort of, I know what I want to say, but I can't quite get my fingers to type those words. Um, you know, and, and so I try. I mean, and I think uh, I think stats are a great test of, or some of these higher level stats are, are a great test of our ability as beat writers to take what we know, to take what we understand, synthesize it, and apply it to the game we're covering in a way that our readers can, can really access it. I, I don't want to keep you uh, much longer, um, but I, I am interested in one one further point. Um, of course, the um, uh, St. Louis today is playing Pittsburgh, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's uh, strange to say it, but that's the first place Pittsburgh Pirates. 
Yeah, isn't it great to say? It is. It it's kind is of fun to say. It is it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's nice to say. I, we haven't said it for over twenty years, isn't that right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that's right. Um, now, regardless of the fact that they're they're not in first place, but um, St. Louis still has something like a, you know over a ninety percent chance of making the playoffs at this point. Yeah, there you go with your fancy stats. There you go, right, right. They have a yeah. nine in ten chance. <laughs> if there were ten seasons, they win nine of them. The, there's that, and the, it's also the fact that if you look at that system, which I think was ranked by Baseball America as the mm-hmm. the top uh, organization in terms of uh, prospects at this point. Um, yeah. It's 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 a very strong organization right now, and mm-hmm. that, in particular, just the, the the sort of talent they're able to produce almost seemingly out of nothing. I mean, the present roster is full of it. It has, for example, Alan Craig, who was not highly regarded. Uh, it's made a it made a pretty excellent player out of David Freeze. John Jay has mm-hmm. been instrumental. Um, there are certainly other names. Uh, I know that uh, every week at this at Fangraphs, I do. Um, I do a column called the Fringe Five, which is essentially looking at at any point the best. Uh, the best prospects who were not on preseason top 100 lists, and yeah. more Cardinals have appeared on that uh, than than any other uh, than any other club. Uh, players like Mike O'Neill, definitely, um, right. a 31st round draft pick who co- continues to defy the odds. Uh, Stephen Piscotti uh, is another player, another out of Stanford, has appeared recently. Um, yep. Guys like Zach Petrick or Zachary Petrick, who was signed out of yeah, undrafted free agent. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, right, undrafted free agent. Um, I'm curious that you're you're going to have you know you're on the front lines of this whether it's um, sort of having access to the players themselves uh, or John John Mazeliak, et cetera. Do you have a sense of what it is that's driving this? I mean, I, was Jeff Luno was he solely responsible and now he's departed for Houston, or is this sort of become is this have deep roots in the organization at this point? So it's it's more a concert than that. I mean, you cannot talk about these things without giving Luno credit because of his ability to organize and uh, I'm going to use that word again, synthesize different approaches and direct them. Um, but also, some of this stuff comes from uh, you know Mosaic, who took over as general manager in 2007, comes from a scouting background. He, he actually was named general manager after the end of the 2007 season on Halloween. But he'd been with the organization more than 10 years since then in different roles, including uh, most recently assistant general manager, where he looked a lot at contracts. But um, he had a, a, a business interest. He has a, a, a sort of a business approach to things, a business acumen. Um, and Lunau also brought that same thing, where they were looking at basically soft points in the market or how to better increase the odds of acquiring talent and. Some of the ways that they went about this was, hey, don't only take friends and family in the late rounds. Um, don't only fixate on the colleges whose, uh, you know, whose conferences you understand and whose history you know and whose competition you, you, you have an appreciation for. Try to find a way to, I'll just, I'll give you an example. Try to find a way to understand what performance at Corpus Christi from a player would mean in the Big 12, or try to understand what a slugger at Slippery Rock, if put at an SEC ballpark, would do. Try to under, you know, try to create a model where you can compare all these players on the same level, and you sort of um, do away with the prejudices involved in um, the the natural sense of well, a guy doing a shortstop doing this for LSU 
is going to be better than a shortstop doing this for, you know, state directional institution Y. Um, and, and so they really worked on that, and that's an analytics thing. But that's also a scouting thing because one of the things the Cardinals did, and, and you know, Mozart was a big part of this, is they wanted to identify, A, what they were lacking, and, and B, then how to find players who with development could fit that. Um, and one of the things they, they thought, okay, well, look, we're, we don't, you know, the Cardinals don't have many power arms. I mean, if you look back, I think it was probably, let's, let's say, 10 years ago. 10 years ago, they had um, less than a handful, I mean, literally maybe five, four pitchers who averaged better than 94 miles per hour on their fastball. They recognized that power was becoming more a part of the game, young power, power arms. Other teams had them. They wondered why they didn't. So they made it a point to go out and try to find them. They, they looked at, okay, how do they do that? They, they looked at uh, position players who maybe couldn't hit but had strong athleticism, strong arms, shortstops, third basemen, some outfielders. Um, were they athletic? Were they, you know, did they have that kind of wide kind of frame? Were they relatively fresh to arm? Did they have kind of an, uh, uh, an agility that you thought would translate to pitching? Um, you know, and their scouts were asked, go find these guys. Uh, Trevor Rosenthal, who's number, who's now the eighth inning pitcher for the Cardinals and throws a hundred miles an hour. They saw him pitch one inning. The scout did. The, the scout saw him pitch one inning, but also saw him play shortstop or knew he played shortstop and got, in, you know, information on how he played shortstop, saw the broad shoulders, saw the athleticism. Um, Joe Kelly was a closer in college, but they looked at him and said, look, this is the kind of a- athletic ability the kind of raw velocity that, you know, might work. So let's give him some innings, see what he does with it. They moved him into a starting role, and look at what he's done this year. Um, you know, Jaime Garcia, to a certain extent, was also, I mean, he was sort of early on, he's not the power guy, but he was a late-round draft pick where the scout really advocated and said, look, I can help make this guy into something. I can help uh, develop him. Um, and, and obviously look at where he got. So they, they started understanding that in the late rounds, and other teams do this. This is not a Cardinal-specific thing. It's just that they have so many readily available examples. Not on the position player side, it's the slippery rock slugger. It's, uh, it's Matt Adams, who, you know, a scout identified. They were able to understand what his stats meant at that ballpark and can, and, and run them through their magical mystery statistical machine and spit out what they projected that guy would do at a class A team. And they saw value there. Um, you know, I, I think they do all these things. Um, and one, one of the big things that Mosaic has done and is, is standardize how they rate players. And now they're doing this on an international level as well. Um, you know, you can, you can read between the lines there that they're clearly preparing for an international draft if it gets there. But what they've done is they take all these amateurs, you know, whether they're scouting Rosenthal for the 23rd round or they're scouting Michael Waka for the first round. Um, they're looking for attributes and then at the end of the day, all other scouts have to affix a dollar sign or a dollar figure, I'm sorry, a dollar figure to what that value is for that talent, what that player is. And they're doing this for, uh, you know, a 16 year old infielder in Venezuela. They're doing this for a right handed pitcher from Las Vegas. They want to be able to standardize how they compare to these guys because they have this wealth of, of information, database, statistical, but also scouting and development now history that they can pull from and understand, okay, if we view this guy as this value play right now, 
this is what it says we can do with him down the road. And, you know, Alan Craig maybe even is one of the early founding, well, the early examples of that where he had a bat. He is bat played. And his bat was going to play somewhere. It just was a matter of finding him a position and finding him an opportunity to do that. It wasn't instantaneous. He uh, had a very difficult kind of debut. But the scouts saw, the coaches saw, the, the development coordinators saw uh, a live bat. And it was just a matter of trying to find uh, a place for him. Um, Matt Carpenter is another example of that, where the bat played, um, the savvy played, the instincts played. He was a fifth-year senior. But the Cardinals had a really kind of keen sense that the way he approached the game was going to help him advance and was going to translate well to the highest levels. Now, what position would he play? And uh, that, that's the kind of way I'm sorry this is a long answer. No, 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 it's great. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, it, what, it's, what it's helping me realize is, is, the, is how many of these players they have. Like you mentioned Carpenter. That's a 13th round pick. Uh, mm-hmm. Alan, Alan Craig was with 23rd or 21st. And, uh, He's eighth round. Oh, right. Alan Craig was eighth round. Matt Adams was uh, 21st right. or something like that. I mean, it's just, yep. it's, it's pretty surprising the, uh, just how many of these players they have. Well, Kevin Segrist is another example. He was drafted in a round that doesn't exist anymore. Um, you know, Tony, <laughs> Tony Cruz was, was drafted late. Um, you know, and one of the, one of the knocks on the Cardinals, and, and I, this will, I, this will kind of, offer a coda, so to speak, for your question. Mm-hmm. One of the knocks on the Cardinals for a long time, look, they, under Lunau, they had more draft picks selected and reached the majors than any other team. But they were mostly complementary players. They didn't have the impact. They didn't have the all-star guy. Now, some of that was a function of where they drafted. Some of that was a function of how they approached it. Um, you know, they wanted predictable prospects. They really went for the guy who, we're going to select this guy, and we know with some certainty, whatever it is, one in five or two in five or whatever it is, whatever high percentage of certainty there is for prospects, that this is who he's going to be in AAA and likely who he's going to be in the majors. They had that feel. Um, so they got a lot of guys there just because they could draft, develop, um, sort of go through the system and improve each step get to the majors and be a complimentary guy. But they didn't have the high-impact guys. You know, they had Colby Rasmus, um, they had Jaime Garcia. Um, but but the, the high-impact uh, all-star caliber or ever even or even everyday caliber player just wasn't there for them. Uh, but eventually it started. that player started to come. They, they, they started taking some risks. They started breaking from the norm because they were able to get their depth together. And they, they played it like you would... Um, you know, this notion, like they took a chance, or they didn't take a chance, but they took Shelby Miller because they thought he had the profile of a prep guy who had a high ceiling and they could help him reach it. They took this approach that, okay, look, they, they got the system restocked, they got the contributors involved, they got the players that they know are going to make it and complement. All right, now start going farther afield. Start casting a wider net um, and gather five shortstops on the chance that one of them makes it. Start playing the odds. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. I mean, it's it's it, they're playing pretty good odds. It's not exactly what uh, roulette. Um, it's far more blackjack. But they, they they are. They know that if they draft more and collect, you know, draft picks or use their international fund instead of throwing a million dollars at one player, throw a million total at three players, 
they're increasing their odds as they can identify the talent, and they've been able to, of, of having one of those guys be an impact player, not just a complimentary player. Um, well, listen, Derek Gould, it's been uh, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I think that I've certainly got a sense of uh, what Nick Picoro uh, meant. If nothing else, I think that what he was really impressed by was, uh, and I think that you used the, the phrase um, metabolism, uh, was your sort of uh, your ability to, to kind of um, work and also, uh, I guess, uh, um, your, your competence in sort of all of the things that are required of the B reporter, just being everywhere at once. Um, well, that's, thanks. Uh, that's a high compliment. Yeah, um, and it's been a, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. I feel like I've well, there's a phone ringing in the background. I'm at my mom's house. That's that's what's oh, happening. Okay. Are <laughs> um, you in uh, Are you in Madison? Currently, no. Uh, currently, I'm in uh, the wilds of Maine. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. My uh, my family is Madison. Yeah. Oh well, that's excellent. That's where, yeah, that's where my uh, that's where my dad is from, and where uh, um, yeah. Uh, that's where, where I, I mean, I spent a lot of my life in Madison. Oh, that's excellent. Uh, well, let's talk about that yep. in a moment. For the, let's say goodbye to the listeners for the, uh, this, though. Uh, that has been Derek Gould, uh, be reporter for the St. Louis Dispatch. Thank you, Derek. Yep, thanks for having me. Yeah, that's Derek Gould. I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio.